All right, so I'm going to have you turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 10. The Gospel of John, chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 19. And I believe this will also be on the screen for you. There we read, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus talking, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father has as says, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, I think I forgot to give them these last two verses, sorry. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you have not left us on our own. You have given us your word and you have given us the power and the presence of your spirit that we might know and understand you, that we might know and follow you, that we might know and love you and find life. Use this time to encourage your people, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, in his sermon a few weeks ago, Pastor Dan spoke of a benefit rock concert that took place in the late 80s called Live Aid. And one of the organizers of that concert was the Irish rock musician Bob Geldof. In his autobiography, Geldof describes a moment at that conference, 
at that concert, I should say, after just ra raising $80 million in famine relief for Ethiopia. He's standing on the stage, and he hears one of the fans shout out, Is that it? Is that it? He says, it's a question I keep asking myself. An interviewer later asked Geldof if he felt that his life was fulfilled. And the article says that Geldof just laughs. He says, not at all. I don't know what that would mean. I am unfulfilled as a human being. Otherwise, why are there these large holes here? As he thumps his chest. Everything I do, he says, is because I'm frightened of being bored. Because I know what's down in those holes. I'm frightened of it. And it makes me very depressed. So I stay active. Frenetically so, unfortunately. And that freneticism keeps me going all the time and allows me to think that I'm not wasting my time. Is that it? You don't have to be a famous rock musician to ask that same question. A good friend of mine was a, um, a high school football star. We went to Bible college together. But he was telling me about what happened to him his senior year. Uh, the high school team went on to win the Ohio State Championship. It was a big deal for their school. And on the bus ride back home, with all the celebration going on in the bus, after all they had worked for, all the hype, all the expectation, my friend just looked around the bus and what was going on, and he thought, is that it? After all we've done, after all we've worked for, this is it? Like Geldof, he was wondering where to find meaning and fulfillment in life. But the good news, at least for my friend, is that a couple of years later, he was, he was just putting air in his tires at a gas station, a very ordinary situation. And two young women invited him to a church service where he heard about the good shepherd who offers the fullness of life that my friend was looking for. And my hope this morning is that we would, either for the first time or once again, be compelled to love and follow this good shepherd and to regularly experience the abundant life that he came to give. The main point of our sermon this morning is that Jesus, the good shepherd, gives abundant life to all who will follow him. To fill it out a little bit more and to even give you the, the outline this morning, the, the good shepherd, Jesus, gives abundant life as he calls, leads, and gives his life for all who will follow him. As we think through this, I'd like to give some context to the passage this morning. Uh, our, our text comes on the heels of the very famous story of Jesus healing a blind man. After the, the man is cured, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, uh, interrogate the man because of who healed him. 
All along, Jesus has been revealing himself as God's son and the Messiah. Messiah being the one God would send to deliver his people from the oppression of their enemies, in particular, the enemy of their sin and rebellion against God. That's, that's the great deliverance that the Messiah brings. That's who Jesus has been revealing himself as. And that's not sitting well with the Pharisees. They believe he's a blasphemer for making these claims. And so they question the healed man about whether Jesus really could do such a thing like that because they considered him a sinner. How, how could someone from God who, who's a sinner, how could he do that? Now, they can't deny that the man was healed, but they will not admit that Jesus is sent from God. But you know, the healed man, he, he is sticking to his story. He says, not only did he do this, but I believe that he is indeed from God. And so the Pharisees, they tell him off, and they kick him out of the synagogue. They, they excommunicate him from public worship. These guys, these Pharisees, were supposed to be the spiritual shepherds of God's people, caring for their souls, leading them to know God, leading them in the worship of God. But instead of caring for that healed man, they inflict on him what they believe is his spiritual ruin. So that's the background. That's what's just been happening. And then in chapter 10, where we began, Jesus begins talking about shepherds and sheep. It's, it's, a, it's a logical connection. Because the Pharisees have not shepherded God's people. They have not cared for this man or the rest of the people. This theme of shepherding is found throughout the Old Testament scriptures. The people would have been familiar with the idea of God himself as the shepherd of his people. They also would have been familiar with the idea of God giving leaders to shepherd the people both nationally and spiritually. And yet, those leaders are consistently neglecting to be those types of shepherds leading to the corruption of worship of God. This happened for two primary reasons. First of all, adapting, they were adapting the cultural as well as the religious practices of the surrounding pagan nations. And, even more importantly, they were neglecting to be faithful to the word of God. They may have said, this is the, the word of God, we believe the word of God, but their hearts and lives were far from it. And this spiritual neglect happened throughout the history of Israel. This is not something new. And this is clearly addressed, God, God clearly addresses this in Ezekiel 34. In that passage, God is declaring a severe judgment on the shepherds of his people. They haven't cared for the sheep. Instead, they've cared about their own interests, their own personal gain. And in the process, people have been spiritually weakened and they're subject to spiritual attack. And God says he's going to remove these shepherds and that he himself will be their people. This is what it says in, in Ezekiel 34, beginning in verse 15. You don't have to turn there, just listen. I myself, God says, I will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. 
I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. So God says he will be the shepherd that the people need. But then later in that same chapter, Ezekiel 34, it says that this shepherd would be the promised descendant of King David who would rule God's people and the nations forever. So which one is it? Is it God or is it this son of David, this promised Messiah? It's both. The shepherd who God promises is both himself and David's son, but in one person who is now revealed to us in Jesus. So in our passage, Jesus begins by giving an evaluation of Israel's shepherd leaders that they have fallen short. And that's obviously demonstrated in how they've, how they've treated this blind man, as well as the rest of the people. He's letting them know that he is this promised good shepherd and he would care for them and all who come to him would have abundant life. I love that phrase. They would have abundant life now and forever. Not just when we die and go to be with Jesus, but even now we can begin to experience that abundant life now. Jesus then explains how this kind of abundance happens for his people. And we're going to look at just a few of the ways he does it. This, this passage is loaded with all kinds of great stuff for us. But we're, we're just going to look at a couple of things, right? First of all, this abundant life happens in the call of the shepherd. It happens in the call of the shepherd. In the first five verses, Jesus is talking about a sheepfold. This likely refers to a community sheep pen in a village, one that would hold sheep belonging to a number of different shepherds. Now, these sheep, when they came in, they weren't like segregated and put into various pens. They were just all mixed together. Different shepherds, all kinds of sheep, they're all mixed. And the various shepherds would drop off their sheep and they would hire someone to watch the gate and the sheep pen for the night. Now, you might think... All those sheep probably look alike. If you've ever watched, you know, something on video about sheep, uh, they don't look very distinct. Some might have black faces, some might have white, but they, they kind of look a lot alike. So how in the world do the shepherds sort out their sheep in the morning? In the Middle East, she, the shepherds cared for their sheep like family. And the sheep would recognize the sound of their shepherd's voice. Some shepherds would make a certain sound. Some would play a special tune on a flute. Some would even give individual names for each of their sheep. So, so when they would come back in the morning, when the shepherds would come back in the morning and they come through the gate, they would call out to their sheep, Dasher, Dancer, Prance, I don't know, whatever their names are, Ezra, Nehemiah, I don't know. And, and their heads would pop up as they recognized the sound of their shepherd, and he would lead them out into pasture. That's how Jesus calls people to himself. The difference between Jesus and these kind of shepherds is, is that he supernaturally enables people to recognize his voice so that they would follow him. And it happens 
through the proclamation of God's word. Not just in a pulpit, not just in a Sunday school class, but through you and through me, people just like us. And when Jesus is calling them through that proclamation, they recognize that Jesus is no ordinary guy. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a good moral example, but he is the one son of God who would care for the souls of his sheep. Jesus is calling people out of the sheep pen of a corrupted religious system. Those unfit shepherds at that time, they were putting a heavy burden on God's people, telling them if they strictly follow and observe God's laws as well as their man-made traditions, they do that really, really well, strictly do that, then they maybe, maybe will be good enough to get to God. Every religion in the world has that corrupted system. Everyone. Do these rituals, keep these laws, follow these customs and traditions, and make sure you do them really good, and hopefully, just maybe, God will accept you. That's a religious treadmill, friends, where you're just spinning your wheels and getting nowhere. And and you might wonder, is this this ever going to be good enough for this God who demands perfect or at least near-perfect obedience to his command? Is it going to be good enough? Maybe you grew up in a religious setting like that. Or even now you might think that's what you have to do to get right with God. But that's never, it's never been God's way of getting right with him. Friends, it has always been by grace through faith. Grace, what a great word. Grace is God extending his kindness to those who don't deserve it, to those who know, who know they can't be righteousness, righteous enough to get to God. They know it. But they recognize their own sin, their own inability to get to God, and then, and then hearing the voice of Jesus, they turn from that and they turn to Jesus, to who he is, to what he has done for them. And they do that in faith. And for those people, Jesus extends his grace, his kindness. He forgives them. He saves them. And as we heard last week, he is then their friend. Perhaps you had no religious upbringing or context at all. But you were taught that you had to work hard to get ahead. Believe in yourself. Trust in your abilities to make things happen, and you will climb the ladder, whatever ladder it is you want to be climbing, and you'll make a difference in the world. But then you look at your life, and you might wonder, okay, well, I have stuff. I've accomplished these things. I'm making my own way in life, but is that it? Is that it? Why are these holes still here? There has to be more, and friends, there is more. 
His name is Jesus. And he has grace for people like that as well. And it simply begins when we recognize we're just not the people we should be. But Jesus is the person that you need, and he wants to be that person for you. He is the one who comes to rescue you from your moral failures, from your burdens, from your weaknesses, from your self-imposed drive to accomplish what you think will satisfy. He's come to rescue from all of that. And today, if you hear this and you know, if you hear this and you know this is what your soul needs, you're not just hearing my voice because I'm not smart enough to come up with this stuff. You're hearing the voice of Jesus who says, come to me, come to me. All of you who are worn out with life, worn out with its demands and its pressures and your, your inability to get right with God, come to me, he says, and I will give you abundant life, life to the full. So first of all, we experience life because Jesus graciously calls us to him. Secondly, we also experience abundant life because Jesus leads his people. Jesus leads his people. Middle Eastern shepherds never drive their flock from behind like shepherds do in the West. They lead them and always go ahead of them. They go in front of them. And where does he lead those sheep? Where does he lead us who are his people? In verse 9, it says he leads us out to pasture. Leads us out to pasture. Leading out to pasture simply means this, that Jesus provides for all of our needs. And if in your, you're in community fellowship tonight, that's one of your questions, so pay attention to that. Pasture means that Jesus provides for our needs. In his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that God will always supply the physical needs of God's people. He's always going to give them food and drink and clothes and shelters. He, he, he will do that. But here, he's talking about meeting our spiritual needs, to know God, to draw near to God, to have a friendship with God. In, in Psalm 23, the, the writer King David says that God as the good shepherd, now listen, the good shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures and leads us beside still waters. But life doesn't always feel like that, does it? Because it sounds pretty good. When I lived in Germany, I, I was riding my bike one day and I was at this open field along the Rhine River and I thought of this psalm and I laid down in the grass listening to the river flowing next to me, feeling the warmth of the sun. It was pleasurable, it was enjoyable, it may have been one of the most restful moments of my life. But life isn't always like that, is it? We live in a world infected with pain and sin and disappointment. Life in God's pasture may, may not be what we hope it would be. It can get really uncomfortable and stressful. It can get fouled up with sickness and trouble. And you may restlessly hunger for something more than what you're getting. It can just get really messy. 
doesn't necessarily sound like abundance to me. So is Jesus just kind of playing with us, playing with our emotions? He's just kind of a bait and switch. Yeah, I'll give you pasture, but it's not really going to be that. Not at all. Remember what else King David says in Psalm 23. He starts talking about the green pastures, the waters and the rest. But then he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. You are with me in that trouble. That's where pasture is. Valleys are shadowy places. There could be flash floods, there could be thieves, there could be predators. Again, it doesn't sound very pastoral. However, our pasture, the satisfying of our spiritual needs, is not found in the absence of bad things. That's not where pasture is. Our pasture is in the shepherd himself who is with us. Him being with us is the provision our souls need. We were made to know that shepherd. We were made to love that shepherd. We were made to enjoy friendship with that shepherd. We were made to have abundant life with that shepherd. So going out into pasture doesn't mean we won't have troubles. In fact, Jesus guarantees you're going to have it. You're going to have it. But then he says, take heart. Troubles are coming, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So our pasture, our abundance of life is not in the circumstances, but in him. Think about this. Who do you go to? I'm talking about a real person, okay? Jesus really is a real person. I'm talking about somebody that you can touch. Who do you go to when trouble comes? Who gives you the most comfort when things are really hard or bad? Is it a, is it a spouse? Is it your best friend, a mature Christian? Is it a sibling? Maybe it's a child, one of your children. When hard times come, just being with that person can be a deep source of help and encouragement, even if the troubles doesn't, don't go away. It's just knowing somebody is there for you can make all the difference. People like that in our lives, that, that is a gracious, they are a gracious gift from God, but they are a gift. They are not ultimate. They are pointers to the ultimate, to the ultimate comforter, to the ultimate carer of our souls. But you might think to yourself, yeah, well, I can't touch him. I can't feel Jesus' strong arm around my shoulder. I don't, I don't necessarily hear his comforting words like I can with these people who are just sitting right next to me. And that's true in one sense. But we are not just physical beings in need of physical touch. We are spiritual beings in need of a deeper touch, the touch of our shepherd. So how do you experience that with God? Think of it this way. Um, years ago, before there was texting and email and Zoom, how did people connect with one another if they were living far apart? It's an old-fashioned thing called letters. If somebody was separated from loved ones by miles or maybe even continents, they experienced nearness with each other by writing letters. And what would 
What would they sometimes do with those letters? Maybe you've done this, if you're old enough to get a letter. Sometimes people would put it under their pillows. Sometimes men would carry a letter in their jacket pocket so it would be near to their heart. Maybe just carrying around in, in a purse or, or in a backpack. Why would they do that? Not because the physical paper was really anything, but because of the content of the letter which conveyed the character and the care of the person. They experienced, check this out, they experienced the person through the words on the page. They interacted with that person by responding according to what was in the letter. So there's this back and forth of care and character and concern. In much the same way, friends, God's word is a letter to our souls. It's not just ink on the page. His words are the communication of God's very character and care for us. So that when we read his word by faith and in the power of the spirits, we are supernaturally experiencing him. It's not just a bunch of words. We are experiencing a person. In the beginning was the word, the communication of God himself on those pages. We're experiencing him. And, and then when we talk back to God in prayer, according to the content of the letter, his word, that's how we begin to experience and even enjoy his character and his care. We enjoy friendship with God. I, I so appreciated what Pastor Dan brought to us last week. So in a sense, this is a bit of a follow-up of that. But here's the big question, at least for me. How about when you don't want to do that? When you don't want to connect with God through the Word and in prayer? And it's the thing that our souls need most, but sometimes, I'm just going to speak for myself, sometimes I just don't want to do it. I did it this week. Knowing I needed to be in the Word, knowing that I needed to connect with, and, and I didn't want to do it whether it was because of laziness, because of the temptation of Satan, or just wrestling with my own sinful nature, sometimes I just don't want to do it. Maybe that happens to you. I don't know. Or maybe you do it, but, and you're just kind of going through the motions. I've done that too. But you know what I do when it happens? I just tell them I don't want to do it. That's what I did the other day. I said, God, I don't really want to talk to you right now. It doesn't sound very good, does it? Sounds a little irreverent, sounds a little disrespectful. I was just actually confessing my need. I was acknowledging what was true, and guess what? I was doing it with him so that at that moment, supernaturally, God is working it out with me. I'm not just pulling back, pulling away with him, trying to figure it out on my own. I'm now walking in this relationship with him, even if it's a hard start. And the thing is, even when you acknowledge that you don't want to talk to him, Jesus remains an available friend. 
he's even willing to help out when we don't want to do what our soul needs most. Who does that? If you went up to a friend and you were like, you know what, I really don't want to talk to you today, they'd be like, later. Not Jesus. He is a friend to the end. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. If he loved us when we were enemies, is he not going to still love you and be your friend when you were wrestling, even to come to him? There's no friend like Jesus. And so he says, just come. Come. Don't think that I'm holding you at arm's length. You come. Come with your nonsense. Come with your avoidance of me. Just come and avail yourself to my friendship. Experience my power to help. Come. Come and know the abundance that I've come to give. So he is our pasture, and we can know this abundant life simply when we go and experience his care and character in the world. So far, we've seen that we experience this abundant life as Jesus the Good Shepherd calls us, as he leads us, and lastly, we see how he provides us abundant life, namely by means of his death and resurrection. In verses 11, 15, and 17, Jesus tells us how he provides for this abundant life. In each of those verses, he says, I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, if we go ahead and we keep reading the Gospel of John, we understand that he's speaking of his death as the sacrifice for our sins. Now, the prophet Isaiah foretells of a coming servant who would suffer for the sins of the people. And in Isaiah 53, it says this, We all like sheep have gone astray, and the Lord has laid on him the sin of us all. And then he says, he was like a lamb that is led to slaughter. It was the will of God to crush him. Yet he bore the sins of many. He took took on the sins of many, and he makes intercessors, intercession for the transgressor. This suffering servant, who is the Messiah, who is the shepherd of the sheep, becomes a lamb, dies as a lamb, to pay for the sins of all who would trust in him. He does that so the sheep might live and have abundant life. But notice, he doesn't stay dead, right? Verse 17, Jesus says, I take my life up again. If the shepherd dies, friends, the sheep are vulnerable because there's no one to protect them or to provide for them. So the shepherd has to be alive. Jesus dies to pay for our sins, but he rises from the dead so that he might keep shepherding. Jesus is the only one that can do both. The only one. He does not leave the sheep alone. Do you know this good shepherd who died for your sins? Is he your good shepherd? Maybe you came in this morning not knowing, really not knowing the shepherd, or or maybe you thought you know him, but now you sense a tug in your heart by what you've heard. And if, if so, the word of God says this, listen, listen. Today 
if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Please don't resist this good shepherd. He has abundance for you. He has forgiveness for you. He has life for you. For those who really belong to the shepherd, how well are you enjoying his abundance? How well are you enjoying the friendship? I I, I get stagnant at times. Times I'm just feeling dissatisfied. I'm sure you understand that. Maybe you've grown weary. Maybe just a little lazy. Distracted. Or, or... Maybe you're looking for abundance in some other way and you're, you're flirting with sin and temptation. Again, referring back to what Pastor Dan said last week, a friendship with Jesus absolutely corresponds to obeying his commandments. Now, listen, you have to remember this as well. He said, The obeying of the commandments is not about meriting a friendship with Jesus, not about earning a friendship with Jesus by keeping the commands, but that keeping his commands is the effect and the confirmation of a friendship with Jesus. The two go hand in hand. So if you profess Jesus and you're flirting with sin, he says, my sheep follow me. So follow him. Turn from your sin and follow him. If you hear his voice today, do not resist. Follow him. Obey him. Enjoy friendship and abundance. As at the end of the passage today that wasn't up on the screen, sorry about that, the religious leaders and the crowd are responding to all that Jesus is teaching about this shepherd and sheep. And someone says in verse 20, why listen to him? Why would I listen to him? Why indeed? How about because he makes the blind see? How about because he calls those who would never come on their own? How about because he leads his people into pasture, deep joy and satisfaction in his presence? How about because he has authority to give his life and take it back up again? His authority over your life and even your death. How about because he lays down his life that all who hear may have life and that more abundantly? So why listen to him? Who else are we going to listen to? He has the words of eternal, abundant life, friends. Let's listen to him. Let's help each other do that as well. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, oh, oh, how we need you. Oh, how I need you. And oh, how I want this abundance that your son Jesus has come to give. And I want it for everybody in this room. If I want it, how much more do you want it? And I thank you that you make yourself available to all who would come and listen. So help us to do just that. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.